Albert Einstein once said, Logic will get you from A to B. Imagination will take you everywhere. This is Save vs. Rent. Welcome to Save vs. Rent, the Everyman Gaming Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today we're talking about lore. Now, when we talk about lore, a lot of people tend to think of RPG lore. Like, in role-playing games, there's the setting, there's the way characters characterize, that sort of thing. That's not the only kind of lore. When we talk about lore in this case, we're talking about lore in games in general, which includes board games, card games, any game that has some sort of background to its story. Uh, Sometimes it's referred to as fluff as opposed to crunch. The crunch of the game would be like the numbers like we were talking about uh, last time in Beautiful Math. This time we're talking about the fluff of the games, the stories behind them, the imagery that's used in describing the game. Now, why is lore important? Well, lore is important because it helps describe how games work in a way that's easy to grasp. All games are kind of an escapist thing. We're, We're not playing a game to recreate what happened last Thursday at lunch. We're playing games to reenact big battles, to go into fantasy worlds, to to do cool things. Right. It is essentially an escapist activity at its core. It's something we do to get away from the daily humdrum and boredom of life and experience something exciting, neat, fun, and enjoyable. So, John, I'm going to describe a game to you without using any of its lore, and I want to see how long it takes you to actually get this game. Okay. So, in this game, a bunch of players are sitting around, and they each nominate another player to potentially be eliminated this round. Now, that other player can just sit the round out and go, okay, I I don't want to do this, or they can see if the person actually is going to remove them this round. Now, they're removed by a card that has either a removal or a not removal then everyone who is not removed and who didn't sit out gets to divide points up from a big pool at the end. Okay, so wait, so they have a certain number of cards in their hand that they're allowed to use to determine who gets eliminated, and they have a limited number of actual eliminations, they have several bluff cards, is that? Exactly. The game is cash and guns. That is cash and guns. And that is so hard to try and explain without using the lore. Yeah, using the lore to cash in guns, it's a really quick game. You're all mobsters sitting around after a hall. You point guns at each other going, yeah, no, you don't, you're not getting any of the money. You're not getting any of the money. And then at the end, you divide the money up. Yeah, it's basically Mexican standoff the game. In fact, if you describe it as Mexican standoff the game, everybody has an idea of how cash and guns is played just from that. That's an example of lore really uh, supporting the rules of the game and helping us to understand how the game is played. Now, even very old games have some lore to them. Chess, for example, is just a war simulator. Not, not a very good one, mind you, but it's a, lo- it's a war simulator. A game that the lore is super important is Imperial Assault. Imperial Assault is just Descent. I love Descent. It's essentially 4th edition D&D as a board game, as it should be. As it should have been all along. But Imperial Assault is a reskinning of that for Star Wars. Who doesn't like Star Wars? Star Wars is pretty okay. I mean, in general, it did kind of bring us into the space opera as a concept in movies. But I do think it's a little overrated. It really just came out at a time when there really were a lot of other... uh, uh, You're losing all of your nerd cred there. Let's just move on right now. Okay, okay. Sorry. So Imperial Assault is a really good game, and it exemplifies why lore is important. 
Another great way of explaining why lore is so important is escape rooms. Oh, like the like the escape room we did when we went to Gen Con or um, the escape room you did when you uh, went to that bachelor party, right? Exactly. Which, yes, we did an escape room at a bachelor party. I am that much of a nerd. But escape rooms were based on old point-and-click flash games, which were which had the lore of, oh, you're escaping from a room to make you solve a bunch of puzzles. Escape rooms are just a series of puzzles. But the idea of, oh, we have to escape from this room or something bad happens, gives it urgency, gives it a pressing matter, gives you an investment in why you're playing this game. Right. I mean, it's one thing if you're, uh, you know, trying to... Uh figure out a combination to a lock to just open up a box. But if you're trying to get a hold of a key so you can get out of a room and get the key to your handcuffs so you can escape from your KGB uh, captors, that's a completely different matter entirely. So now that we've described why lore is important, let's talk about a little bit of bad lore. Uh, There's a number of games that are not very good because they have no lore. Sorry is the first game off the top of my head. It's an okay game. But I'm 100% convinced that if it had some lore behind it, if there was flavor and dragons and all sorts of quests going on, that the game would be a lot better. It, honestly, it could be basically the same game with just a few minor changes. Like, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe you're all couriers trying to get letters to uh, individuals, or maybe you're pizza delivery men and you keep getting in each other's way and knocking each other over and you have to go back and get a new pizza to start off. I, I think I just described a better game than Sorry, just describing the idea of how Sorry could be better than Sorry. But the plot of Sorry, as far as I can tell, is you are a little pawn-shaped pawn and you knock over little other pawn-shaped pawns and they have to start over. That's the whole game. Uh, another game with no lore is Connect Four, which... Connect four, you just are putting checkers into a vertical board and trying to get four in a row. I mean, yeah, it's basically tic-tac-toe. Um, it's also a solved game, so we, we all know how it'll turn out if you memorize the entire sequence of events to absolutely always win the game, which no one's going to do, but that's not the point. It does lose a little bit of its charm just knowing that it has a guaranteed outcome if you play it right. Um, a game that we praised last week as being a good, solid, mathematically sound game is Yahtzee, and it has no lore behind it whatsoever. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, the only thing you could even ascribe lore to with Yahtzee is you could say it has some similarities to poker, and that kind of gives it sort of a gambling feel. But, I mean, that's it. There's nothing else to it lore-wise, and modern Yahtzee variants all try to get around this by making them like cartoon characters on the dice or something but i mean it is generally recognized that that's not a good way to do the lore for a game that's not a way to immerse the player in the game so those are games without any lore let's talk about games with bad lore where there's lore involved but it's just awful unpleasant just just all around bad Monopoly! Monopoly. Monopoly's lore is so bad that it can both be a capitalist propaganda tool or a socialist propaganda tool. Because you can interpret it any way you want. Maybe you're the guy who's just trying to get ahead, or maybe you're the guy who's trying to crush the opposition in in brutal and unfair tactics. It doesn't really matter because the game is pretty freaking dumb. On top of that... 
it is so vanilla that you can reskin the game a million times without ever changing how it's played. Every single Monopoly variant is just, you're not buying Boardwalk anymore, you're buying The Simpsons House, or you're buying The Candy Kingdom. I mean, it's it doesn't matter what you change it to, it's the same game every time. And there's no reason to change that, because the lore and flavor of Monopoly means nothing. Another game with bad lore is the game of life. Life is bad because it doesn't even really represent a person's life very well. It's just kind of eh. Not not just that, but there are well-known ways of just winning at the game of life. Go to college. Just go to college. Always go to college. There's no reason not to go to college. In fact, if you don't go to college and another person goes to college and becomes the doctor or the lawyer there is no reason to continue playing the game is already over they have already won short of a catastrophic run of bad luck you have made the only choice of the game that had ever mattered and you chose wrong and on top of that not going to college in real life isn't that big of a detriment there are plenty of trade schools there are plenty of other career choices to continue on and even succeed Yeah, there are options. And also in the game of life, somehow children don't cost anything. They just are something that you put into your little car, and now you have a child, and at the end of the game you get bonus points for it. Whoop-dee-doo. Another game with bad lore, and I might catch a little flack for this, is the Jumanji board game. Now, the movie Jumanji rocked my world. It left me shaking when I came out of the theater. Oh, I was eight at the time. Give me a little bit of... Uh, slack for that. It's still a good movie. It still holds up. But I was terrified and thrilled and completely overblown about this wonderful board game that caused mystic creatures to come out and a hunter to come out and Audrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors for some reason to go into someone's living room. And it was great and amazing. It could lock you away for years. So you had to finish the game. Okay, so how does the actual game play? Because I actually have never seen the board game in person. It is when you watch the movie the only interesting parts about the board game are the fact that it can whisk you away to magical areas or cause magical effects to happen in the real world when the board game can't actually do that it's just a bit of a letdown you roll your dice you move your guy you draw an event card it either moves you forward or moves you back it is a letdown it's anti-climax the game Hmm. Yeah, don't know what you were expecting. I mean, it is just a board game. And then on top of all of this, we go from having bad lore to having counterintuitive lore. Lore that, when put with a game, actually makes the game worse. Game of Thrones, the role-playing game. That right there is a pretty good game on its own, but I was trying to play the Game of Thrones role-playing game, and the system didn't mesh up well, and it just left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, I mean, you're trying to play a game set in Westeros with all of the uh, trappings of that implies, and all of the lore, and all of the expectations for how the world works. And then the game itself doesn't really support that in any useful way. I mean, yeah, sure, you make your own house, and... You know, there there are a few things that are alluding to it, but it really feels like you kind of stapled on Westeros onto a completely unrelated game. Another example of that is actually the Dragon Age RPG. And yeah, I know I've already ripped on the Dragon Age RPG, 
But I'm going to do it again because I think it deserves it and also it is appropriate to this particular episode. The Dragon Age RPG has nothing to do with the Dragon Age world or the Dragon Age game. If you played the Dragon Age video game, you had an experience you will not have with the Dragon Age RPG. You will not replicate any aspect of that experience because the Dragon Age RPG plays so differently that it feels out of place to try to combine the two. You're just sticking two things together and hoping that they make one cohesive whole when they do not. They don't fit together at all. And that's a great example of lore completely failing to support the crunch of the game. So, after all that, I think it's time for us to talk about games with good lore. Games where the lore is so wonderful it can actually bring up an otherwise mechanically unsound game. Uh, the one that comes immediately to mind is Tales of the Arabian Nights. Oh, yeah, Tales of the Arabian Nights. Honestly, it's not a very complicated board game. It doesn't really have a bunch going for it. It feels pretty random for the most part. You don't really have a lot of strategy involved. But what you're getting out of it is interesting story bits that you get to interact with in all sorts of interesting ways. For every story bit, you have, what, 10 reactions, 10 different choices as to how you can react to any given thing. And all of those have some bearing on it. Now, it is very random, but you're playing it for the story to experience this weird, vaguely Arabian Nights-esque story that gives you this feeling of having this character go through all these crazy experiences, you know, getting married, finding a genie's lamp, becoming wealthy, and then losing it all suddenly. I mean, just crazy stuff happens. The lore is so well supported in Tales of the Arabian Nights. It's such a part of the game that if you were to reskin the game completely, if you were to if you were to make it a horror-themed game based on all of the old universal horror monsters, it would be a completely different game. It would be almost unrecognizable as Tales of the Arabian Nights. Even if the mechanics were fundamentally the same, even if it were just Tales of the Arabian Nights, now it's a horror game, it would suddenly become, you know, a whole a wholly new thing, you know, where instead of, you know, praying, you might be panicking. Well, you could still pray, actually. I mean, that would work for horror, but... <laughs> instead of instead of uh, you know bartering, you'd be panicking or something like that. You'd have a different array of options that reflected the new setting, which would give you a different array of experiences when you actually dealt with the various characters of that world and the different encounters that you would have. So it could it could get pretty crazy. Uh, the next game on our list for good lore is Mysterium. I love Mysterium. Mysterium is basically a clue offshoot. Um, the thing about Mysterium is it's essentially uh, Dixit with with a story behind it because Dixit is just a game of putting down pictures, describing a concept, and making people guess which one is the correct one. D Dixit? I, I thought it was I thought it was Dixit. Uh, pretty sure it's Dixit. But for a while, you were uh, pronouncing it as deceit. Uh, yeah, well, I thought it was pronounced deceit because, you know, it, it makes it sound like deceit and it's a game of deception. But then I did some research and it looks like it's actually supposed to be pronounced deceit um, because it is a French or, or French-ish pronunciation of a Latin word. And honestly, it doesn't come with a pronunciation guide and deceit just seems like the closest thing to write, so... Anyway, so we were talking about Mysterium. Mysterium is cooperative deceit clue, 
where everyone is playing these cards, well, try, trying to interpret these cards that the ghost is playing. And it has this wonderful story of mediums trying to get all of And it only works, at least for me, as a game of horror, of a, of, uh, of haunting. I, I couldn't... I can't even properly think of a way of reskinning it where it still maintains the same feeling of the game. I don't know, maybe if you were to reskin it as a genie was giving you quests to go on. No, I'm, no. I'm thinking of a thousand and one Arabian Nights. Again. Yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, it it has a great feel to it because of the whole concept of haunting. The idea that it's a ghost who can only communicate through imagery that you know comes to your mind, and the images are garbled and changed and it comes up with an excellent sort of lore because of this, the way that it gives you an opportunity to role play into this position as your medium pretending that you are trying to interpret the messages of this lost spirit and finally solve the riddle of its murder. I mean, it's a really cool way of reskinning what is otherwise a very simple and good game in a way that makes it an interesting experience from a lore perspective. Another good lore game is Libertalia. Now, in Libertalia, you're playing as a crew of pirates going out and raiding and then dividing up the treasure afterward. And the reason that I like Libertalia from a lore perspective is that overall, it's it has all these complex, fiddly bits, all of these parts that only work if you have to if you describe them well. The captain obviously gets to pick his his bit of treasure first. He's the highest numbered in the crew, so he gets to go first. But if you're just going, okay, you have to play down cards with numbers. The lowest number gets to activate their power first, but the highest number gets to pick the treasure for it gets to pick their points first. It gets it becomes boring, but having it be pirates going on adventures, getting treasure, bringing it back to your pirate cove, burying your dead, using the people at the pirate cove to do all these sorts of things, that suddenly becomes a great adventure pirate game when it's really just a trick-taking game. Right, and that's a big part of why lore is important to games because a lot of games can be very simple games, like trick-taking games with a few special abilities, that sort of thing. And when they're given this theme of having this idea behind them, it propels them into something that's more of an experience that gives you a sort of immersion. You get to do a little role playing. You can be like, yo ho, be hearties and all of that. It, it does. It gives you an opportunity to play as a character in your own game. And that's actually a really cool experience all overall. It lets you enjoy the game on a different level than if it were just a simple game experience. Uh, you just brought us into our last point there, role-playing. Role-playing games as they exist are just a random number generator with a few extra numbers on top of it. The role-playing aspect is what elevates it from a mathematically sound game into our favorite hobby and pastime. Pathfinder, for example, has some of the best lore in role-playing games at this point in time. It is... I'm going to let you in on a secret here. I actually don't like the D&D 3.0, 3.5 style systems. It's almost 20 years old. And it's kind of worn out its welcome for me. 
it's starting to show its age. I mean, the the way we look at role-playing games, we've changed a lot. We don't rely on a simple D20 roll so often anymore. Uh, we want something a little more meaty or a little more fluffy than that sort of thing. Something that gives us a different sort of experience nowadays. But the Pathfinder Adventure Paths are so good. I subscribe to the Adventure Paths. I get them get one of the books every month. And I read through them and go, oh, I love the story here. I wonder if I can change this to 5th edition. Oh, I love this story. I might be willing to play in Pathfinder to play this story. And it, the lore behind it is so good that it actually inspires me to make interesting characters in a system that I'm, frankly, pretty burnt out on. It also has an amazing setting. Uh, it's got this uh, sort of Mediterranean sea feel. I, I remember a writer, I can't remember who it was, once said that any fantasy setting needs an equivalent of a Mediterranean sea, a place where all of these completely different cultures can converge and find themselves uh, meeting each other in ways that wouldn't be possible over a simple uh, linear land travel. Uh, Mediterranean Sea-type location, or the inner sea in the Pathfinder world, gives us a sort of fancy kitchen sink setting with everything but the kitchen sink. You know, you have a pseudo-Persian empire. You have um, more of a Franco-Prussian uh, sort of area. You've got a, a sort of pseudo-Spain. You've got this empire of Chelyax. You've got all of these different locations with a different sort of feel to them. And you have the Arabian setting. Yeah, yeah. You have all of these different. Uh, you have a North African and even uh, sort of a fancy African setting as well, a fancy Caribbean setting. Even they are able to fit all of these in in a way that's believable because of how the setting is produced with this uh, Mediterranean Sea type location that lets all of these different cultures come together in a way that feels organic and correct. And that gives us the ability to play a lot of different stories that can even converge in interesting ways uh, without having to really stretch our credibility and start playing stupid multiverse games where we're hopping between dimensions and stuff, which has a place, but really isn't the best way of running a fantasy setting, in my opinion. Now, I'm going to tell you right now one of my absolute favorite adventure paths. Wrath of the Righteous from Pathfinder has such a great story behind it. You start out and your city is completely destroyed by a massive demon. And you're buried in the underground uh, caves and catacombs and have to find and work your way out while carrying along these NPCs who are different degrees of worthless. One is completely and totally worthless because he whines even though he's able-bodied all the way to a wizard who is blind and a rogue who has a broken leg. And you go and you find your way out, and then you find that your city is destroyed. So you have to rally and find the people of the city, gather them together, and then you move forward and gain mythic power. And suddenly you're a mover and shaker in the world. And that lore in and of itself turns what could otherwise be just a fairly standard game of Dungeons & Dragons Pathfinder into something unique, something that could only happen in this setting. You are at the edge of a demon war, and you are suddenly major players. You have to go retake this keep, rebuild it from the ground up. You have to explore and exterminate some of the demons. You have to find some of your personal backstory. You then have to go into the demonic realms, deal with the goddess of succubi, 
succubi, succubuses. Suck, succub, succubode. Okay, close enough. You have to deal with her. And then you have to go into Baphomet's maze-like domain to rescue the herald of a god. And at the very end, you defeat the locust god who has been causing this wound in the world. And none of this could happen in just a generic setting. And it is so cool that I ran this game. And even though all of my players were so overpowered, they were defeating everything with no challenge, everyone was still invested in the story. Everyone was still going, ooh, what could happen next? Yeah, we're impervious, but the people we love and care about are not. Oh no, the place that we've been building up, it could be destroyed. What next? What next? What next? And that right there is the sign of a great story. Similarly, my favorite campaign setting uh, from Pathfinder was the Adventure Path Kingmaker, which I ran from the beginning to end in its completion. And it had a kingdom-building aspect to it where you were creating this kingdom and maintaining it, taking care of its people and ensuring its eventual success. The thing about it was the kingdom building rules really aren't that great or that interesting. Honestly, it's just a fairly rudimentary kingdom building, city building experience. It doesn't even have a tech tree. It doesn't it lacks a lot of the aspects we think of when we talk about settlement building in games. Yeah, it's just a mechanic to add bonuses to and tacked on uh uh, attacked on random event system. Yeah, but ultimately, a lot of my players kind of lost track of the fact that the whole purpose of this was to eke bonuses out of it. They ended up becoming invested in this kingdom and wanting to see it succeed. And even investing, instead of taking from it and getting resources from it, they started investing their own resources into it to ensure its success, its growth, and its eventual supremacy over its rivals. Ultimately, the lore changed how they approached the game. It made it so that the crunch of the rules wasn't as important as the experience of playing to the assumptions of that fluff, of suddenly being invested in these leaders and these uh, followers and these cities that they had been building up and making sure that the right amenities existed, you know, choosing to build housing rather than a red light district, even though you would get more benefit out of the red light district because you know that yeah, your people you need housing. Yeah, I know the red light district is actually very broken in the system. And I didn't actually see them build more than one of those. And the one they built of those was in a city that was kind of known for being seedier. So it, it's not nearly as broken as the city that's entirely graveyards. Uh, nothing but graveyards. Absolutely. And again, I never saw that, even though mechanically, even one of my players pointed out that mechanically, that would have been a good city. They would have been able to build a city of nothing but graveyards. It didn't matter. They weren't going to do that. And I didn't have to place any sort of artificial restriction on it because the lore spoke against it. One graveyard was appropriate. Two graveyards, maybe three graveyards just became morbid. And suddenly the city has a darker sort of purpose to it because of all these graveyards. It just become something they don't want it to be. The lore informed how the game was played, and that's a big part of what lore does in games, is it gives us a way of understanding the game beyond the simple crunch of the rules. So let's let's start wrapping this up. Let's start bringing this back together. Today we were talking about lore. Lore is the fun, flavorful aspect. It's the part of a game that we can latch onto and dive into. It's the part of the game that 
makes the numbers something other than just numbers and random number generators. It's what gives us a relatable experience when we play a game. It's what turns it from just being numbers and boxes and cones of Dunshire to actually being a game with some meaning behind it, some sort of experience to it. It turns it, turns it into a Settlers of Catan experience where you're trying to build roads and cities and create this settlement that is going to flourish. It turns it into an experience that we can enjoy from an aesthetic perspective as well as from a gamist competitive perspective. Uh, one last example. Uh, Cheap Ass Games, a company that I love, 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 had this game called Kill Dr. Lucky. At its core, the game is okay. You move around and you play a card and you hope that no one else has a matching card for it. That in and of itself isn't a very good game. But the idea that it's a sort of pre-clue, everyone's going around to try and kill this old guy, is so fun. And it turns an otherwise boring eh game into a great game and that is what good lore does it turns an eh game into an amazing game role-playing games if they didn't have the lore and setting behind them would be awful but they get to the point where we are embracing them where we're diving into the lore trying to find out more about it trying to figure out what's going on and that is why lore is so important so the next episode what do we have uh Oh. I think we're going to be talking about a specific game? Yep. Uh, This is one that I have been wanting to talk about for a little while now. Seafall. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, Me and my wife got you that copy of Seafall quite a while ago, and I know that you've been playing the campaign of that. So I am actually pretty excited to see how that turned out. Yeah, we finished the campaign a few months back, and I've been compiling all of my thoughts on it. And let me tell you, I've got, got some things to say about it. So that's what we have next. Once again, this has been Save vs. Rant. Thank you very much for listening. Every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it is the task of the sculptor to discover it. Michelangelo. Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy with music by Timmy Skittles. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at saveversusrant.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.